We are Sarah and Laura. We are doulas, mothers, women, wives, and entrepreneurs. We love a lot of things. The gym, food, coffee, health, kombucha, our families, and our friends. We are so committed to being authentic, honest, and vulnerable and showing up here just the way we are. We promise to never positive wash anything, but please know that we are wholeheartedly committed to radically thriving. With this podcast, we hope to connect on a deeper level and talk about hard stuff. Ultimately, we want women and mothers to know deeply who they are and what makes them feel happy. Whether you're getting into a bath or taking us on a walk with you, or maybe you're commuting to work, we are honored that you chose our podcast to listen to. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Laura. Who do we have with us today? We are doing a podcast today with Carolina. She's an alcohol-free life coach. We've been wanting to talk about alcohol for a while now. Considering we were just in Mexico and there was tequila there. There was a few. After hearing about Carolina, we thought about doing a completely no drinking, all-inclusive, but then we didn't. So we're so excited for the timing of this podcast. So Carolina is the author of her own book called Euphoric, and she helps women be alcohol-free and helps them live their biggest dreams. Um, So when she reached out to us to do a podcast, we were like, yes, absolutely. We have so many questions. She's a business coach for alcohol-free coaches and does retreats and certifications. You can check her out on Instagram, (laughs) euphoric.af. I want to be dynamic doulas.af. It's so good. (laughs) Welcome, Carolina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Did I miss anything? Tell us. No, that sounds great. (laughs) Well, I help really intuitive women, you know, who uh, are starting to feel like alcohol might not be aligned with their other values, like health or mindfulness in their lives, really reevaluate that relationship so that they have all of the energy and the potential to really focus on things that matter so much more to them. Mm. Okay. So our primary audience is women who are in the childbearing years and who are, you know, prenatal have are pregnant and immediately postpartum. Tell us some thoughts like off the top of your head, or maybe it's in your book, um, about women dealing with, stress and you know it's very classic in our industry to hear about like coffee in the morning and wind down in the evening there's a lot of that um how do you see people dealing with postpartum um stress anxiety depression with alcohol and what are better ways that they can do that Absolutely. Such a good question. You know, and first of all, let's just recognize that in our society, it's really typical to start drinking when you are coming of age, whatever that looks like for you, 18, 21, 15. And then it's a habit you have for the rest of your life, except for the pregnancy or two, right? Like that's how it functions in this society. And that's normal. And unless you have some massive problem, that's just the kind of accepted status quo. And so obviously it's very typical for women, you know, to maybe set aside the alcohol while they're pregnant and then, you know, postpartum, it's like, Ooh, I can drink again. And then, you know, the stress of then raising children and babies and toddlers and all that stuff, like there is this whole culture that has now been built around moms needing wine, mom needing wine to be able to cope through it. 
And I just see this as such a disservice and such a really sneaky preying of the alcohol industry on the most vulnerable and stressed part of our population to say that you need wine. Because here's the thing, alcohol tricks us into thinking that it's relaxing us in the moment, but biologically, physiologically, alcohol actually releases releases stress hormones in our body. When we drink, it's a depressant and slowing down our central nervous system, which, you know, the way that like brain anatomists and scientists have explained it to me is that it's actually killing off our ability to sense and to feel things, right? Like it is slowing down things, not in a good way, not in a relaxing way, more in like a, these things are getting shut off way. And, and in order to combat that, our body has the system of releasing stress hormones so that we don't just get sedated and die in that moment. So we release cortisol, adrenaline, and something called dynorphin, which is kind of like the opposite of endorphins in response to alcohol. So biologically, like alcohol and anxiety are tied on a molecular level. And now most people, if you have like one drink, you know, you get this buzz for 20 minutes and then there's this come down period, 30 minutes or an hour after the drink, like you kind of feel a little wired, a little off. However, most people don't stop with the one drink, right? You have the second or the third. And so then you keep pushing off those stress hormones to be released later. Uh, That happens in the middle of the night. So it's so typical to drink and then have your wake up call two, 3 a.m. It's like you just got a shot of adrenaline and you're just stressed about everything at that moment. Uh, If you don't get it in the middle of the night, you'll get it the next day. You'll get it in the morning the next day and have hyper anxiety, you know, more so. So it's just such a lie to be told that, you know, alcohol is relaxing us and helping us cope when in reality, it's putting so much more stress on the human body, not only those stress hormones, but then because alcohol is ethanol, it's technically a poison, our body has to detox it. And that is a huge toll on the body to be able to work over time. So, you know, I'm like really into like health and and biology and all that stuff. I have like my aura ring right here that measures, you know, my heart rate and all these kinds of my REM sleep. Uh, I don't drink anymore, obviously, but people who tell me who do drink and use these kind of things, like after drinking their heart rate, their metabolic rate, their REM sleep, all of these things are getting thrown way off because of alcohol. I'm not talking about 10 drinks. I'm talking about one or two drinks. Right. And so like, it's just this myth, I think that we've been like sold into really by the alcohol industry, that this is relaxing you, helping you cope and all these things. It's making you more of a maniac. It's making everything else harder to deal with. And so when you take a break from alcohol, which is what I recommend, I don't break, like say like, Hey, everyone needs to quit drinking. But if you've always drank, you know, and and maybe pregnancy is the only time you didn't drink and that's, you know, complicated in itself. There's all this other stuff going on. So, you know, especially if you're postpartum, like taking a break from alcohol at that point can honestly really, really help manage the neurochemistry of your brain. So all of these hormones are already in flux because you've just given birth as well. And, you know, to throw in alcohol at that point to, you know, release all those stress hormones. In addition to that, alcohol also lowers our receptivity to dopamine because there's so much dopamine that gets flooded into the brain in this like one peak moment. Our brain's like, whoa, 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 this is way too much. So it actually retracts the receptors that catch dopamine. And this is really similar to what happens when you do cocaine or heroin, right? So basically what happens is that your ability to feel pleasure from normal things like, you know, walking in the woods or laughing with a child or playing with your dog, stop registering in the brain. And alcohol also lowers our receptivity to serotonin and GABA. 
So what it tells me is that when I was drinking regularly, my stress hormones were up here, my happiness neurotransmitters were down here. And all of this time, things take time to rebalance. So it's not just like a few days off alcohol, we'll put everything back to normal. It's a few weeks, you know, four to six weeks usually. So, so many people are pleasantly surprised that when they take a break from alcohol, after a month or two, like they really feel a change in their mood and they feel so much more resilient to handle the things that are stressing them out. You know, obviously being a new mom is very, very, very hard and tough. Uh, but you know, you want to build that resilience and not knock yourself down a peg with this tool. That's not helping. Mm -hmm. I have a confession to make. Okay. So when I was listening to your podcast this morning, I was thinking, wow, we recommend people to have a drink when they're in labor. And why do we do that? Mm. We do it because for most normal people, one of their only relaxation tools is drinking. So I can't say practice your square breath mm -hmm. because I don't know if they practice a square breath. I can't say make yourself a salty bath and put on your favorite meditation. Now we do talk to our clients about building a stress relief practice, but we know across the board 98% of people know what glass of wine they want or a beer or a cider and they've missed it their whole nine months. And we're like, look, if you, you know, it'll help you relax, have a drink and a gravel and go to sleep. And then listening to you this morning, I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, why do we not have so many more stress practices, you know, and there's this really fascinating study. I just want to share with you too. Um, they once put brain nodes on people who just like left work so that they could measure their brain waves. And everyone's super stressed out. You know, it's a stressful day. Their brainwaves are super chaotic. And everyone goes to a bar or a restaurant and orders a drink. And all of a sudden, their brain waves relax. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the kicker. They didn't drink the drink yet. They just ordered it. So oh, the brain wow. relaxed in anticipation to the wow. reward, wow. to the drink. That's, that's how powerful our brain is. And that's why we have this idea that alcohol relaxes us as we make it mean that in our lives, you know? So like the, the ritual works the yeah. ethanol itself doesn't you know so any other mocktail will work too yeah, <laughs> okay. i saw the study that talked about the swirling of grape juice gives you that similar effect um like you're talking about and i actually used to work for smoke-free ontario and i i used to always think that for a lot of people because they would say the same thing that smoking relaxes them but we actually know it's a stimulant so i think when they go outside and take 15 deep yeah. breaths and have a break yeah that's giving them what they think is a relax imagine you meditated eight times a day oh my goodness like it's a timeout and if you're <laughs> a nurse or anyone at a hospital and you have to be like but i need a smoke break yeah you can't be like uh, i need a breath break yeah i need a tree break i need a nature <laughs> break but like we should normalize those things when you were saying about your heart rate um i did notice that so i don't drink very much but in mexico we had drinks for the first five days and um, I was laying in bed and I could feel my heart rate was higher, but I know my brothers even said, cause he has the same aura ring, um, that yeah, one beer can change, um, his heart rate by 10. Yeah. Um, so it's wild. Like the effect that it's having on your body. Nuts. Yeah. There's some studies too, you know, we've, we've heard for a long time that moderate drinking is good for the heart. And I think the alcohol industry took that one and ran with it. 
Um, and now there's so much more conclusive evidence that when you take all those studies together, there was really flaws in how they built the studies to begin with in the first place. And they're saying there is no safe amount of alcohol and that it only increases our risk for cardiovascular disease, you know, increases our blood pressure. It actually, I don't know that it increases cholesterol, but I do know when you take a break from alcohol and it decreases inflammation and people's cholesterol does go down, you know, mm-hmm. it, it increases your heart rate when you're drinking it. So it's just like all of these things, it doesn't make sense, like how this could actually be good for you. And I think categorically, we're really learning that it's not, you know, but we have to break through a lot of that myths and a lot of that, you know, old kind of um, things that were just being said about alcohol to, to recognize that. And I love just the personal anecdotes of like, well, this is what it's telling me, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you need that physical proof. I did three months sober last year. Um, and it was awesome. I loved it. Now our job makes it really easy for me to justify it because we're on call for births. So I felt like I didn't get as much peer pressure as, someone who doesn't have the excuse of having to go to a birth in the middle of the night to not drink. But as an Enneagram two, the people pleasing of alcohol is the hardest part for me. So I know that I don't need to drink to have fun. Um, but when I turn down alcohol, then I worry that everybody else around me is either judging themselves because they're drinking and I'm not. And then I'm imagining all these stories they're telling themselves about how they're failing because they're drinking or that everybody else isn't going to have as much fun because though I can have fun when I'm sober, I'm sure when I drink, I do a lot of dumb things, which can equal in quote unquote, more fun, not more fun for me the next day. I'm terrible at being hungover and get major anxiety. Um, but yeah, it's all wrapped up in like what my friends expect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big one. And you know, for me, um, I'm not a two on the Enneagram myself, but I was very introverted. So I grew up really shy. And so to me, alcohol was like this magical elixir, you know, for socializing, for becoming more confident, all these things. And, you know, everyone's mind, unless you grew up under a rock, like alcohol and socializing are just so intertwined. You know what I mean? And I think there's so many things about it. So like in my case, I had to learn how to get more confident without alcohol and find that within instead of outsourcing it. But in that kind of like expectation case, you know, where people expect you to drink or, you know, they're going to feel weird if you don't or anything like that. There's statistics that show that upwards of 60% of most drinkers like over drink and around 55% of all drinkers wish that they drank less or not at all. So it's almost like we're all buying into this lie that we all love drinking. There's nothing wrong with it when really deep down, most people are not too happy with the way it's playing out in their lives. So I always think to myself that like, instead of feeling like the odd one out, like I'm going to be the role model that day. I'm going to be an inspirer. And even if it's confronting for someone else, that's actually doing them a big favor to, to, to pull out those feelings of why they might feel confronted when someone's not drinking. They must have deep insecurities about their relationship with alcohol. Some people will also be naturally curious and you might be like, they needed to see the example in front of them to get the confidence to do it too. So for example, if I was at a party seven years ago, and I saw someone having a blast without drinking, my brain would have been like, wait a minute, you're allowed to do that? Because like, I didn't even think it was allowed. Like I didn't even have permission to do it. So sometimes like we need to stand firm in our own kind of like boundaries and and it often gives people permission to do what they wish or don't yet have the bravery to do themselves. And obviously that's a big mindset shift, you know? And if someone's really stuck on it, like really they like don't accept you not drinking or they don't want to hang out with you. I mean, 
all all red flags are pointing to like their own kind of issues, right? Yeah, definitely. So what brought you on this journey yourself? Yeah. So I started drinking when, you know, I was in college, partied really hard back then. I had no healthy boundaries. I was just a wild cannon. Um, but as I started to get older, especially in my to my mid to late 20s, I got really into health and mindfulness. And so what I did is I would have the healthiest weeks, you know, Monday through Thursday, I was drinking my drink, green juice, doing my meditation, going to yoga classes. And then every weekend I would overdrink. I would go out with my friends or to a sushi night or a game night or have some wine at home, whatever it was. And every Monday morning, I woke up feeling like a shell of myself. You know, it's like I made two steps forward in my progress and my health during the week and then five steps backward over the weekend. And I repeated this cycle for years, like more years than I'm like proud to admit of just feeling this insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and having so much more cognitive dissonance and pain, how it's not aligned with my values of health and whatnot. But I didn't see a way out of it. You know, I just figured adults have to drink. Like that's just the code of normalcy, right? Uh, Until I heard a dry January, I think that's what clicked in my brain that was like, oh, I can just take a break from alcohol. I don't have to explain it to everybody. I don't have to tell everyone I have a problem. And that gave me the permission to like really try it on. And I fell in love. Like I fell in love with how peaceful the mornings felt. I fell in love with how deep my sleep was. I fell in love with how proud of myself I was feeling every day. I wasn't breaking any promises. I was following through on the things I said I'd do. I just felt so good. And then come February, I still don't believe I'm allowed to be this non-drinker. So I drink a few times socially. And the contrast is so incredible. Like just two drinks ruins my mood. You know, I'm having this high euphoria, just connected to nature, really present with everything in January. And then just two drinks in, I'd get cranky, frustrated, just not comfortable with my surroundings. My sleep would suck. And I was like, oh my God, like drinking sucks. Like I finally really saw it so clearly. So I decided to take another break at that point. And I've been alcohol-free for five years ever since. When so many amazing things happened in my life, not only did I get more energy, my health improved, my mindset improved, I really redeveloped new positive beliefs about myself and self-love, but the number one thing I got from it is confidence because what I did and just pushing myself to go, you know, two weekends, five weekends, a hundred days without alcohol, I was like, whoa, who is this woman? I don't recognize her. And that gave me this feeling like if I could do this, what else could I do? And I started challenging myself to that. I launched a business I always, you know, wanted to launch. I quit my day job. I wrote a book. I, you know, started speaking on stages. Like my life is so different to what it used to be because I got out of my comfort zone once with alcohol that I've now decided like I can handle this. I can go after my dream life and get out of my comfort zone more often. Um, So I'm just like really passionate about this topic, not because like I, I could care less what people drink at the end of the day. It's not really about alcohol. It's about letting go what no longer serves you so you can invite in what you really care about most in life. You know, and I think we spend just so much time and mental energy being worried about a beverage at the end of these days. Imagine like using that passion and creativity to write a book or to launch something beautiful into the world or create something. I think we just have so much potential within all of us. And I just see so many women being caught into the like, like you said, caffeine in the morning, wine at night. And it comes with so many mental gymnastics. Should I drink tonight? Should I not? Okay, but you have to go work out tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. It is crazy talk in there. Mm-hmm. It really is. I'm wondering when you watch TV, because I used to be in the spot when I worked for the uh, for Smoke Free Ontario, you see so much product placement in every single show. Do you lose your mind watching TV? I mean, it's so insidious, but it also like really goes to show that like 
I used to think I was so different and alone. And there was just some reason why I couldn't drink or I couldn't handle this relationship with alcohol. And it's like, oh my God, we've been brainwashed since we were children. Like, even if you start drinking at 15 or 18 or whatever, you were seeing alcohol in adult society on TV, movies, with your parents, all this stuff since you could remember. Like this has been so, you know, put into our lives. And, you know, the way I like to say is like alcohol is nothing more than a fermented liquid in a glass. Like that's it. That's all it is. And we as a society have attached all this meaning to it. We as a society has said it's the symbol of celebration or the symbol of rebellion or the symbol of glamour and sophistication and popularity. Like that is not inherent within the beverage itself. That is all us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that just seeing all that product placement and seeing it everywhere just really goes to show how programmed and conditioned we are to accept this as normal and to accept this as a must in our lives without asking questions. And so I really find that, you know, I say I work with the most intuitive women because it really takes an intuitive woman to say, wait a minute, is this serving me? Just because everyone else is doing it, does it mean it's serving me? Do I enjoy it? Do I really like it? Should I experiment with a break from it to see how I feel? Like those are the people I love to talk to and work with because it just shows that like you're have a greater awareness about, you know, things in your life and you're ready to kind of experiment and explore. And that's why I love to, you know, recommend people take a break from alcohol because, if you hate it, then go back to drinking. Like nothing's been lost or anything like that. But if you don't ever try it, you won't ever really know what it feels like and what you're capable of. And most people I work with find that they really do find that inner confidence with themselves to go after what they've always wanted. And the things that were so stressful before, like they make shifts in their lives. So they're, they're not constantly stressed out. They form more boundaries. They ask for more help they shift their jobs or whatever it is. Like we don't have to live like this, you know, like running around all the time, stressed out. Like we can make changes in our lives to have the kind of life we want. Yeah. Mm. I was just thinking uh, any night that I haven't drank, I've never woke up the next day and been like, oh, I wish that I got hammered last night. Yeah, that's fair. Ever. But at, there's been times where I have not drank and woke up the next day and been like, oh, I'm so glad I stuck to that plan. Yeah. So my experience is a little different. I grew up um, in a family where there's no alcohol um, and and I didn't really start having any drinks till I was probably 30. And even then it kind of started as like a glass of wine with food here and there in a, and even so, so I was a nanny when I was 17 and went to Europe for the first time, Switzerland. And that's kind of where I remember being on vacation with the family that I nannied for, and they'd had a, a drink every night with dinner and they included me in that. And so I had this real understanding of, like you're saying, attributing this cultural value or something to the drink. So my question is like, twofold here when you do you ever feel like you're missing out on a piece of history or like you're at a restaurant that has wine pairings and you think wow could does it really elevate like sometimes the flavor of wine with food is incredible and you're like wow there is a party in my mouth and I realize that's probably only one out of a hundred times that anyone's drinking but in though are those moments that you ever miss Yeah. So I would say that like we all drink for probably anywhere from 10 to 20 reasons and sneak in a few side reasons too. And what I really did is I debunked every reason why I like to drink. And so some of them were the big ones that we already talked about, like it helps me relax or it helps me be more confident. And then there's all these other ones that your brain is like, well, what about this? And what about this scenario? And what about that? 
And I literally have made peace and cleared, cleared everything away from me so that I don't feel like that at all. So, you know, first of all, yes, there's like that historical or cultural element, but there's so much to what we've also done in history that isn't necessarily what we should keep doing. I mean, you know how it's as old as alcohol, the patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like enough reason to keep that up? You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, there's such like eons of human history where we didn't drink, where we were outside with nature. You know what I mean? Like it actually is a more recent thing. There's also never been as much like uh, convenience and disposable income as there is today compared to the past. Like it wasn't normal for women to drink that much during most of history. It was like a men's thing. And they just got really drunk at like pubs and stuff. Um, but think about it. Like there wasn't the seven 11 you could go to or the convenience store and you had all this money to spare on something like alcohol. So like literally in the past 20 years, they've proven that we've drinking more as a society than ever before in history. And especially women, uh, like it's just crazy that kind of, you know, socialization that's happened. Like there's a brewery on every street corner. There's the wine memes at Target. There's you can drink at movie theaters like it's everywhere. So things have also really changed compared to history and those cultural artifacts. And I do think that there's beauty in rituals. I think there's beauty, beauty in cheersing or celebrating something or, you know, sitting down to have a nice meal. But I, like I said, like we put all that meaning on ethanol. It doesn't like the ritual can stand without that drink. So like I drink a lot of mocktails and alcohol-free beverages and I try a lot of those things because they stand for the same ritual, but just minus that one negative chemical property, right? And, you know, even with like wine pairings and stuff like that, there's so much invention happening in the alcohol-free industry. Like there's so many incredible chefs, like the French Laundry and a lot of other like award-winning chefs who are really experimenting with non-alcoholic pairings. And they have to be so much more inventive. It's not just like popping a bottle and pouring something. They're like, all right, we have to get the tannins and the mouthfeel. Like it's more fun for them because they're becoming more inventive. So there's drinks like proxies that are made by a chef, Sean Brock, that are like all of these elements put together, different juices, vinegars, all this stuff to make this incredible drink. So I actually think in a culinary sense, there's like more innovation and more excitement happening in the non-alcoholic drink space. You know what I mean? Um, And so I don't know. I just see just so much more creativity and possibility there and like I've done the wine tasting like I've done that I've done that hundreds of times I've been there I've done that and I know exactly how I feel afterwards and Mm -hmm. it's not great you know what I mean so like I'm just so excited what this new road is giving me and this new path is paving towards me and like all the romanticization is like literally a construct you know what I mean like that part is all constructed and should I miss something like that like the flavor of a wine or like the feeling of you know swirling something in a glass like I can go pour anything and do the same thing you know what I mean so it's kind of I think a lie to think that it has to be ethanol and alcoholic to feel that way. So um, growing up here in Canada, I would say we're a bit more similar to the U.S. in the way we do some all or nothing, some binge restrict, a lot more dieting. We've obviously, we're not as bad as the U.S., but in terms (laughs) of things like, you know, birth outcomes, but also in the realm of diets and obesity and all that kind of thing. In Europe, there seems to be much more this, um, sort of idea around moderation and you've alluded to drinking ages of, you know, 15, 16, 18, 19, 21 here, it's 21. Um, I am wondering what your approach would be if you had a teenager right now and you know, what would be like, we, so because we're birth workers, you know, our kids know a ton about the female reproductive system, about cycles and about birth way more than their friends do. I'm sure if you had a teenager, it would be the same, but like, how would you raise them in this culture? 
Yeah, that's such a great question. Well, I just know reflecting back on like my story, like I one found all of the answers to my insecurities in alcohol. So there's already something really off there, right? Um, I also found that I didn't really have many healthy coping skills or tools that I learned. And I also entered into a culture in college where I was awarded by the fact that I could like drink and hold my own and, you know, be that. So like I got status from it. Right. So in all these ways, it told me I'm cool. I'm rebellious. I'm independent. I'm an adult now. I'm the hot chick, whatever it was like. Those are the things, the lies that kind of I started to believe. And so like to think, you know, and then when I started to really feel those negative effects around alcohol, then I thought like, well, I can't take a break. Everyone's going to think I have a problem. Right. So like, I would just never want my child to feel like that. Like I did in that case. And I know that like, for example, Gen Z is drinking less than any other generation before it. It's not necessarily cool to go out and get drunk anymore. You know what I mean? So I think there's just so much changes in the awareness level that's happening And I think that like alcohol really is going to go the way of cigarettes, you know, in the sense that like today I used to smoke cigarettes in college, but today I live in California and I can't name one person I know who smokes cigarettes. So it's not like people stopped completely. There's still people who smoke. I know that, but it's a fringe activity now. It's not the mainstream activity anymore, at least not here. And so I think I really do see alcohol going that way where it's like normal that in 10 years, 20 years, you can go to a bar, half the people are drinking and that's fine, but half the people aren't drinking. And that's also okay too. There's no social pressure expectation. And one time I sat down with this 19 year old kid and he is like obsessed with Tony Robbins and he wants to like have accessible business. Like he's really into the success mindset. And he told me the one thing that holds me back is alcohol. It's going out with my mates on Friday nights and drinking with them. And he's like, but I don't see how I could ever like get out of that or stop. And I was just like crushed. I was like so sad. And I was like, you know what? We've built this culture for them. Like we're the ones who made it, you know, not just me, but like the whole, all generations preceding him told him that the only way to bond and have fun and be cool with your friends is to drink. Like, and we repeat that and show that to our kids all the time. So I just want my kids to grow up knowing there's this alternative, right? I want them also to not feel the social pressure expectation to drink and that they can stand within their own boundaries and do what they want to do. And, you know, I'm not going to say like, they'll never drink necessarily, but what I really also want them to know some of those negative effects of alcohol, not like the scary tactic ones, but just like, just knowing that, Hey, most people who are drinking aren't actually happy about it. Like what you see is not what you see, you know, like really deep down. And I think that can just like stop them from ever feeling lonely about like, Oh, you know, I I don't like how I feel hungover the next day, or this is, you know, feels weird or whatnot, because I knew I felt so lonely. All I saw was like the shiny images. And then like the next day I would drink the same amount as like a friend. Let's say we both had three beers in a sitting. I felt horrible the next day. And I was like, well, she must be fine because no one's talking about it. And so I really felt lonely and isolated and like something was actually inherently wrong with my body or my brain. Uh, So that would be my hope for children is one, like the social pressure and expectation goes down, you know, that it's not a have to, that it's an option, right? Uh, Who knows? Maybe we'll invent something new by then. You know what I mean? Like we evolve so much as a, as a human species in our health and mindfulness and in our health as well. Like there'll be something new in a hundred years. I know that. Right. Uh, But also too, that they just really know that like, there's more to the story. Most people are not happy with their drinking. And so to not use it as some kind of like standard or measure against themselves. And when they feel insecurities are off about it too, to know that they just have someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. So weed is legal here and we have about as much sales um, 
in weed as there are yeah. in alcohol. Like, so yeah. we, we have our, we can't buy, like when you're talking about um, at the corner store, like we don't have 7-Eleven alcohol, but we do now have alcohol in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And then we have like the LCBO, which is kind of like a, a beer store, but there is now a place to buy cannabis on like every oh, plaza. I live in a small town and we have two cannabis stores. So it feels like when you're talking about something new, that feels already like we have friends from the gym who given up alcohol, but mm. have traded it for weed. So it's hard to know. Like, so I would definitely define myself as sober curious, which also I hate because I feel like it's such a trendy term, but I don't know if like, does sober curious apply to just alcohol or everything? Like the way that you speak about being sober and being more present and connected and intuitive, it doesn't feel like any drugs. Are if you like, do you include the odd mushroom in there? <laughs> Is that yeah. So I think it's really personal to each person, and I'm obviously not the sober police. And I think there's a lot of damage that happened from really traditional paradigms saying like you're not sober if you're taking anxiety meds, and you're not sober like. Okay, BS. Like if your goal is to not drink alcohol, then that's your goal, you know? Like that's what we're talking about here. Um and obviously like, you know, weed has gotten a lot grown a lot and there's just so much like more availability to it and, you know, just comparing the two, one is a lot worse than the other. However, there are similar effects to weed where that, you know, you're not staying in the present moment. You might be pushing down your emotions and not feeling them. And it really does also affect your REM sleep and the way that the brain function creates new like brain cells and stuff like that. So it's not like a magic, you know, the magic kind of cure all either. I don't smoke personally because it makes me paranoid. Um, but I don't have like this blanket rule, like everything is off limits, you know, type of a thing either. But I'm also not really interested in using any kind of substance to like numb my experience of life. Like I get high every day because of what I do, because I've designed my life that way. Yeah. I get naturally high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. With no mushrooms for added creativity. But I think it's like, I think it's personal. Like I can't say that for anyone else. Everyone has to form their own philosophy around it. You know what I mean? And I do think it's annoying when like alcohol is the one thing you're trying to work on. Other people are telling you that you're not doing a good job because you're, you know, using other things. Well, if your goal is to quit those other things eventually, then that can happen next or something like that. But it's something that all or nothing my mentality could actually hinder people from even just taking yeah. the first step. You know, I feel, yeah. you. I feel like that's when, like when you say, I'm someone, so stuck in the all or nothing mentality, but I, what if I say like, Oh, I'm trying to reduce my sugar, which mm-hmm. to me means I'm trying to not have a cookie and a brownie and <laughs> some like in one day. Right. And then immediately people are like, well, what about fruit? And I'm like, yeah. take your fruit and shove it. I'm yeah. talking about <laughs> extra hyper palatable foods like brownies and cookies that are taking up so much space in my diet. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to eat fruit. Stop at me. <laughs> well, it's like people asking us if they can drink kombucha. Oh my goodness. I'm like, well, yes, there's trace amounts of alcohol in it, but I don't think it's having the same negative effects. Is there ethanol? Do you drink kombucha? Yeah, I drink kombucha. You know, kombucha, ripe bananas, salad dressing, those all have the same oh, amount really? of alcohol. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that's like the trace amounts. It's not, it's neg- negligible, you know. Mm-hmm. So what are you passionate about right now? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the thing that happened for me when I removed alcohol is I woke up to what I really wanted in my life and I started having the audacity to go after it. So, you know, five years later, I've written the book. I have a multi-six figure business. I travel the world. I lead retreats. So I've already like accomplished a lot of the dreams that like 
five years ago, I didn't even think were even feasible for me. But now like looking next, um, I'm really passionate about helping other people help other people. (laughs) So, uh, you know, a lot of women decide to ditch alcohol and just find this incredible freedom and passion for life that they want to turn around and help the woman behind them. So this year, my company is launching a coaching certification to certify new coaches in this uh, modality and to really be able to help more people and launch businesses and stuff like that. So I'm very excited about that. I know I'm going to write another book when I get to it, but that will be coming too. I want to just keep traveling, growing my company, just really living. Like, I really do believe that as far as I know, right? I don't know. We have one life. And as far as I know, I'm going to live the best one life that I possibly can. I do not want to get to my old age and regret the things I didn't do. So where do you think your work intersects and differs from something like Alcoholics Anonymous? Ooh, there's a lot there. So, you know, I'm not going to throw shade on anyone, but like there's really old fashioned paradigms that were created back in like the 1930s that just don't really apply to every person in the world. And I think some of the problems with AA is that they've made it seem like if this method isn't working for you, there's something wrong with you. And there can often be in different groups, a lot of shame, a lot of negativity, a lot of just like really strict rules, a lot of almost like gaslighting, like you don't know because you're, you know, you're stuck in this problem. You have to listen to us. Right. So, uh, and that's obviously can be different for different groups. I'm not speaking to all of them. I'm sure there's great meetings out there, but just like, that's why I've really heard from a lot of people. Um, and AA has really been kind of positive as the only way, you know, even doctors will recommend AA without ever knowing anything about it or its efficacy rate. And its efficacy rate is kind of low. It's 10%, right? It's not that great. You know, so I really believe in empowerment. I believe that if you determine that alcohol is holding you back from your dream life and you're going to experiment to see how you feel without it, it's not a question of I can't drink. It's like, I'm going to get to a point where I don't want to drink. I have so much more exciting things to do with my life. So, you know, when I help my clients, uh, you know, change their relationship with alcohol, we look really deep into the subconscious reasons why they started drinking. And I think AA also misses the cultural effect. Like they, they, they really assume that, oh, you happen to have a problem with alcohol, but everyone else is doing just fine. And somehow you are the defect Mm -hmm. or it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like what's going on with the rest of society is not normal. It's all probably very problematic when we all have emotional dependence on alcohol for all these different reasons. And we've been sold that and brainwashed into that by a mega industry ever since we were teenagers. So I really do look at a lot of the subconscious reasons why we like to drink and then help clients completely debunk and eradicate those so that they're left with no desire. And then that's not it. Like if I just did that, I honestly would be bored because I don't want to talk about alcohol all the time. (laughs) What I really care about is helping people achieve their dream lives, you know, and it's from that position that we've removed what no longer serves you. Now let's go and chase what you really, really want most. And a lot of women I find don't know what that is or have never had the bravery to admit it to themselves or like go after it. There's a lot of fear there. So there's all this personal development. I think that happens not only when you ditch alcohol, but really start claiming the life you really want. Um, And I think that's also a huge difference between my brand and AA. Yeah, I love that because your whole thing is the absence of a product. And I feel like Mm -hmm. in a way we can relate to that. Like a lot of times people can talk about the birth that they don't want and they can talk about all the bad things that happen in medical obstetrical birth. And then it's really hard for them to get to a space where you're like, but what do you really want? What do you really want your birth to look like, feel like, and how do you want to be supported? And that's, yeah, that's the bigger, harder question. Um, do you have more questions? I have two more. 
Sure, go for it. Okay. Tell us a bit more about your book and like what we, we would find in your book that we haven't talked about today. Yeah. So Euphoric is really written for that casual drinker who is curious about this lifestyle and it will give you a body, mind, soul perspective on everything you stand to gain by taking a break from alcohol. So it'll walk you through every single health benefit you'll get. It'll wind, walk you through all the mindset benefits that will happen. And then the soulful benefits that we don't even correlate with drinking, like more presence, more connection, more gratitude, more wonder and appreciation in your life. So by the time you're done reading those sections, you get so excited to want to try this break from alcohol and really, you know, nix alcohol that you are so ready to go. And then it comes with an eight week plan to do so. So an eight week break from alcohol and each week will help you not only debunk like the myths of alcohol in your life, but also kind of start introspecting. What do I really want? You know, how do I socialize? What are my emotions trying to tell me? How do I embody more self-love? And towards the end of the eight-week plan, starts asking you questions of like, okay, we have all this free, freed up time, freed up mental energy. What do you want to pursue? You know, what have you always wanted to try? You know, new experiences, but then kind of leading into like, well, what are your passions telling you about your deeper purpose as well? So that's the book in a nutshell. I think it's like one of the most empowering books on the topic because it's just really light and just everything positive really about it. It just makes it super enticing. Um, and obviously like helps people through any challenges that come up along the way, like how to navigate their sleep or, you know, other people or what they're supposed to say, all that kind of good stuff too. I love that. Cause that's the thing I'm thinking, you know, if you were to do a wedding or Mexico yeah, or yeah. a weekend or a party, um, and yeah, what are the things that you're saying? Yeah. There's a part on like vacations and big events in the book. Nice. I, I need, need to go back two weeks ago and read that. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting to think about our vacation. So we were in Mexico for a wedding and we were with 80 people, but we only overlapped with them for five days. So we drank while they were there. And then as soon as they left, we were like, we're done. We did three days of nothing. And yeah. it's funny because we met new people Yeah, and they would kind of be go to sit with us and they'd be like, Hey, what can I grab you? Obviously it's all inclusive. They're not buying it. And we're like, no, we're good. Or it'd be like, Oh, club soda, club soda yeah. whatever. And, uh, it, you know, it'd be uncomfortable for 30 seconds mm -hmm. where they'd kind of like judge you a little bit. And I feel like we also provided an excuse. We're like, ah, we just drank for the last five days. We don't yeah. need that. Um, but it, yeah, it was interesting how there's a discomfort for like 30 seconds yeah. and, then, and it then it goes away. Yeah. I also in retrospect can see that the energy of the group we were with declined mm -hmm. over the week. And that by the last two days, they were shells of themselves and they're all sick right now and they're all sick. <laughs> and guess who's not yet? These two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So it's just interesting when you like take it out and see it play out in front of you. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. It is a depressant. Like those people are not well, what appearing was the... to be living their best lives after seven days of alcohol. What was the hair of the dog thing? Or what do you say? Oh, the hair of the, that alcohol cures a hangover, but like it's because the... it's addicting and your body's in withdrawal or I don't know, all sorts of excuses, all sorts of societal myths that just make you keep drinking. Mm -hmm. It's all horrible. You know what I thought about, you know, how like a lot of, uh, online programs have like affiliates, you know, where they like make money if they promote your program, just think about how many affiliates the alcohol industry has all of them, but everybody's an alcohol affiliate. Yeah. They're like a rep brand brand. Rep. <laughs> yeah. And they're not making any money. No. Wow. It's, wow. Gross. Okay. So yeah. let's end with this question. We asked everybody, if you could have a billboard, what would it say? Hmm. Maybe life's too short to be hungover. 
Oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, that's good. I need that on a shirt. <laughs> tattooed on your arm. Yeah, I might. That's great. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, coming on today. I'm going to buy your book and do the eight week thing. Yay. Awesome. Well, it was such a pleasure speaking with you too. Yeah. I loved it. It was awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Carolina. Thank you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. You too. We would just love it if you would take the time to leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you'd subscribe to our show, you can screenshot it while you're listening to us and even share it on the gram. Remember, you are important too. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. Everything said here is our own opinion and not to be taken as medical advice. We do not take any responsibility from the outcomes of you taking our advice. Please seek medical advice from your trusted healthcare professionals.